Jamin Moore here with Asher Cohn and Alex Morgan, both from PayPal Park. The earthquakes drop a great opportunity, unfortunately, to get back into the playoff part of the standings with a kind of boring 0-0 draw from PayPal Park. Both teams with at least one golden opportunity to score. I think the Quakes had two. Jeremy Abobasi uh, put a shot right into the corner of the goal, a great save, pushed to the post by Maxime Cropeau. And then at the very end of the game, Cade Cowell just didn't react to a ball right in front of him that he could have tapped into the net. Opta gave it about a 0.5 expected goals. That's, that's basically a 50% chance. Uh, pretty high, and uh, nothing came of it, though. Alex Morgan, what did you guys see there from the stadium? I mean, this was just a really dour game, Jamin. Uh, it was slow uh, from the start. Neither Vancouver or the Quakes really had any ideas about how to get the ball into the final third or uh, any intensity at all. And, you know, I think the expected goals says one thing. Uh, but just based on the eye test, that was uh, a really dull game. And, you know, the Quakes need to do better uh, at this stage in the season. The Vancouver Whitecaps are a team near the bottom of the Western Conference. You know, they drew each of their last four games heading into this one. The Quakes need to go, ne needed to go and get a win tonight uh, and put themselves back in that playoff race. If they're going to compete in a really crowded Western Conference, this is the kind of game that they they needed to win and on one hand you know there's positive in that their undefeated streak is now eight games longest active streak in mls uh, you know the defense tonight held its own it's looking good jt marcinkowski had a couple really strong saves uh, but going forward you know matias almeida had thrown on five forwards at the end you had jeremy obobese chris wondolowski Cade cowell andy rios uh, and even so the Quakes couldn't get the ball in the back of the net and they didn't look particularly dangerous at any point in this game. And that's really concerning, I think, for, for Matias Almeida. A lot of forwards, but no playmakers. Asher, what were you uh, seeing there? Uh, great to have you at the stadium, I think, for the first time this season. And uh, your uh, opportunity to kind of get that perch up there and, and, and be able to put on that tactical hat. What did you see tonight? Um, yeah, it it wasn't quite great to be here. It was okay to be here. It was great to be at PayPal, but uh, the product was a little bit, as uh, Alex said, it was dour. Um, you know, I, it looked like San Jose forgot how to play that really front foot for two, three, one, four, one, four, one. They've been doing for the past two years. Look, they kind of didn't figure out how to do that. They couldn't figure out how to fit trophies into that. Um, you know, he was a 10 today for the first time in a very long time this season. It, he had a pretty flat game. Um, you know, Tanner Beeson, who was stellar against LAFC, um, and I think they really needed a fullback who was able to get forward. I think that Marcus Lopez might have been uh, a better choice to be starting this match. Um, so, yeah, it just looked like they kind of didn't know what to do against a Vancouver side that was more than happy to soak up pressure. Um, I was really worried about Ryan Gold coming in and starting to um, terrorize the back line. That really didn't happen. They kept... Vancouver in check. Vancouver kept themselves in check all match, frankly. And uh, it was uh, really, yeah, frustrating to watch San Jose not really know what to do about that. And and I think that the comparison you made between the LAFC game uh, in this game is right on the spot, Asher, because the Quakes played, you know, on, on Sunday, last Sunday against LAFC with so much intensity, so much dynamism going forward. They had so many quick breaks looking to get in behind. And it's just like, where did all of that energy go tonight? 
the Quakes didn't have any of that uh, intensity uh, in, in this game. And it's almost like they sunk down to Vancouver's level. And, you know, they let Vancouver sort of slow the game down and, you know, slog out this draw. And for a team that I think likes to consider itself as a team that plays on the front foot and, uh, you know, are the protagonists uh, and play, you know, exciting attacking soccer, you know, this was not a good match for them. I want to come back to uh, something you uh, mentioned there, Asher, because, you know, you talked about Chofis, um, you know, and kind of his role tonight in the middle. It, it felt to me, at least watching on TV, that the Quakes were struggling all night trying to create through the middle, that they had to go wide. But then they also didn't have like the right personnel on the pitch to be able to get in the true kind of overlapping and cutting type uh, type attack that would be needed in order to be effective with your wing play. Tanner Beeson does not get up and down the line and, uh, and uh, you know, give you overlaps, right? Abakasi's at times tries to, to do some things with the ball, tries to cut in, tries to get outside, but he lacks the pace really to be able to uh, play that true overlapping style and instead was putting in early crosses that uh, quite frequently actually got blocked and never even made it into the box. Um, and I think like, uh, you know, Matt Doyle uh, from MLSsoccer.com was kind of uh, mentioning how if the Quakes don't have overlapping fullbacks, they really don't know how to attack. He's not entirely wrong from that perspective. But to your point, I, I feel like there was maybe some personnel decisions that were a bit strange, given the type of attack you should be able to mount against a team that coming into the night was 13th, now 12th in the West in Vancouver. Yeah, absolutely. I think that, um, you know, I don't want to take any away from Abacasis or Beast, and they both really solidified the back line for San Jose throughout the past month or two. But um, neither of them are particularly dynamic going forward. And it seemed, uh, you know, the first time in a while, it felt like this game really missed Tommy Thompson, someone who was able to just kind of play one twos with Espinosa all the way down to the end line. Um, you know, Espinosa got in a lot of good positions. He also could have made some better runs at times. Um, yeah, they were just able to get the wingers into space, but just, as you said, weren't able to collapse back in. It looked like um, they didn't know what to do with a center forward now that they had one. Even Apicasi's had the one um, ball go in that connected with Abobasi's, you know, left foot, and he made a chance out of it. But even that was a pretty, like, it could have been a stronger cross, and it could have been something. A lot of things just, um, yeah, it looked like they were still trying to figure out how to play with Abobasi and still trying to figure out how Trophies fits into the 4-2-3-1. And, uh, go ahead, Alex. Well, I was just going to add that they almost brought in Paul Marie in like the 80th minute and not felt like it would have been a move that gave them a little more uh, attacking width and overlaps. Uh, and at the last minute, Almeida decided to bring on Chris Wondolowski instead, uh, which was uh, a little bit surprising given that the Quakes already had so many forwards in the field. Obviously, I love to see Chris Wondolowski get in uh, any game. But I think it would have made more sense to bring in Wando and Paul Marie than, you know, Rios and Wando together. Uh, I will say that on the other side of the field, you had Marcos Lopez, who was trying to create some of those overlapping opportunities, I think, but frequently got frustrated, visibly frustrated, I think, on the sideline, that he wasn't getting played into space uh, and that, you know, there weren't options ahead of him uh, to play off of. And I, I think he even sort of had a little talk with Matias Almeida uh, about, you know, keeping his patience and trying to, uh, you know, tr trying to wait for the right moment. Um, but, you know, it felt like, uh, again, I think him and Paul Marie would have been good options to, to make this team, uh, you know, more attacking, more high energy from the get go. So it did feel at times like Abobasi was a bit disconnected, um, you know, I, but I couldn't really get a good tactical angle. To be honest, there were, some interesting issues uh, that uh, myself and, and Charles Wolin and I were chatting throughout the match, noticed with the uh, central camera, and uh, we weren't really getting as wide of views as we're typically used to getting uh, from that camera. It was a little bit floaty and, and things like that. Talk about Jeremy Abobasi and what you were seeing in terms of how he was connecting or not connecting with the team tonight. Uh, Choi Star makes a comment here that he was positioned a bit too high up and, and potentially you know, something maybe that he's used to playing in a certain way with the Portland Timbers. He needs to make other sorts of adjustments 
in order to be able to link up the way that the earthquakes need him to link up. What did you guys see from Abobasi tonight? Um, it was interesting. It felt like on every throw-in, he was like three yards farther away than anyone could throw to him. Uh, it seemed like that's the sort of thing that would be able to resolve pretty quickly, but just kind of wasn't throughout the match. Um, so credit to the uh, Portland Timbers fullbacks for a much stronger arms, apparently, than San Jose's. Uh, but his one-two play, he had really good, uh, was able to like get Espinosa behind him into space. And it was really great to see that in the first half. Um, but it seemed like they were still trying to figure out uh, you know, it looks like maybe, you know, Espinosa has been in fear to that point as well. It's been kind of, um, have gotten greedy with Bondo's runs where they were kind of ready to make the cross before Ebobasi could get into space sometimes. And I think that's something that, you know, they'll work on, they'll figure out where, uh, Jeremy wants the ball and how they're going to get there. But as you said, it just, um, it wasn't ready for this game, which was, uh, you know, really kind of confusing and frustrating why they couldn't figure this out against a team that was really, begging San Jose to take advantage of them. And I mean, for all those reasons, I was surprised that Obobese got the start in the first place. He's only been in San Jose for like a, a little over a week now. And the fact that Matias Almeida threw him straight into starting 11 when he has options up top, he had Cade Cowell, he has Chris Wondolowski, whose fit hasn't started in a while. And you know, he also has guys like Rios and Fierro even that he can put back in the starting lineup. So I was surprised that he went with the Bobasi, you know, trial by fire, I guess. And look, he's he's trying things. You can tell he's making runs. He's checking to the ball. He's dynamic up front. It's just out of sync right now. And, you know, I think he had a good volley in the first half. Uh, and he had a really good shot in the second half that was tipped onto the post. But he didn't really get the ball in and around the box very much. And, uh, you know, that's something I think the Quakes need to work on is how to get him uh, with the ball in space uh, in the box. And uh, I'm optimistic, uh, given, you know, all the runs he's making, that they'll be able to do that. But I think it's going to take some time, and it wasn't ready for tonight. We are planning to have Matias Almeida and Tanner Beeson join us tonight. If you have a question for I. Okay, it looks like uh, uh, Matias Almeida, Tanner Beeson, I don't know if everyone's able to hear that, but I uh, started to hear some uh, noise like they might be starting, but uh, instead it was an announcement uh, that Matias Almeida and Tanner Beeson are likely to join us uh, for tonight. So that's still to come. Let's talk a little bit about Christian Espinoza because it's felt like he had been working back into form. And, and at least in the first half, it seemed to me that he really was trying stuff. Not that necessarily a lot of it was working. And in a couple of situations, he got into dangerous spots, you know, you know, put, put a shot, you know, a little askew or uh, in one case, way askew. Um, but he was got into dangerous positions nonetheless with opportunities to shoot. I think he had a couple of blocks as well. But he looked like in the first half, like what we kind of expected expect to see from, from Christian Espinoza, like actually trying to carry the offense of this team trying to, to, to make some things happen and felt, you know, at times um, like he was, uh, he, like I said, that, that he was dangerous. What did you guys see from Christian Espinoza tonight? Uh, still, I think, working his way really into the type of form that we've seen him in previous years. Yeah. Um, you know, as I said before, it seems like they just have they've been out of practice with this four two three one? Um, a lot of times he was making you know he was able to get the ball from Obobasi's feet and they were able to you know he's able to break into space, but there you know there's nobody making the back post run to kind of get behind the defense and Obobasi wasn't able to turn around quickly enough. Um, there are a few things like that. Um, you know, usually Sensei historically is a little more talented getting these one twos on top of the box. There really is none of that today. Um, and it kind of, I, I don't know why not. Maybe that's something that Jamin or Alex would speak to, but it's something that's been a trademark of the team. They weren't able to work. Um, but yeah, it just, it kind of felt like uh, almost like the Houston Dynamo, the first match of the season, just kind of like, okay, we're um, trying to figure out how to make this work with our new personnel, um, which to Alex's point, it makes wonder why Obobese started if they're still trying to figure it out. Uh, maybe they wanted to have that front foot 4 2 3 one instead of the 3 4 3 for this match, uh, but it just didn't look quite ready. Uh, for the most part. Yeah, and I think the problems were further down the field than Christian Espinosa. I just don't think they were getting the ball to Espinosa in the final third because they weren't moving the ball up the field. They were kind of passing it around the back and they didn't have that uh, through balls in the middle. They didn't have the connection uh, between the defense and the offensive line. And 
you know, that's worrisome because, you know, Judson and Jackson Ewell had a really strong game in there together in the midfield against LAFC. Uh, they played well with trophies too. I think they were connecting a lot of passes, but on this occasion, Vancouver were just really compact, super compact in the middle and the Quakes weren't able to break them down. Uh, and so they ended up uh, basically funneling the ball out wide uh, to Shea Salinas a, a couple of times. They had a couple of dangerous opportunities that way, um, but they really weren't able to get the ball to Espinosa on the other side. Uh, and so I think that's why they struggled. Uh, is because they didn't have a game plan. They didn't have a, a way to break down uh, Vancouver's compact defense. And so uh, I don't I don't fault Espinosa for that at all. He just wasn't put in the right situations tonight. A lot of comments, you know, and I, I shared a few of them about uh, Jackson Ewell uh, not really uh, having a very good night, particularly on the offensive side of the ball. Eric Rometty, uh, another game not getting the start. One of the things that, of course, is interesting is that with no remedy in there, there really, I think we're only like three fouls against Vancouver by halftime. Like there really wasn't a lot of fouls being taken. Uh, all of them, uh, something. all of them with Judson, all of them with Judson. All was of them with Judson. Normally though, remedy has like uh, 10 against him by halftime, right? Uh, he leads the league in fouls against. So um, yeah, I mean, what did you see from Jackson tonight? Um, is it, uh, is it, you know, is it as bad as uh, it sounds in the comments? Um, from your perspective, it looks like I'm hearing a little bit of noise. Looks like we might be getting Matias, but go ahead and let's see if we can fit. Uh, Short answer is no. I want to get that in before Almeida. I think that Janio Bikel on the White Caps is a phenomenal defensive midfielder. He really kept, um, he did a good job, just kind of his um, defensive shadow, I think is the word that uh, people like you, Jamin, are using now for uh, the way people position themselves. He was not giving Yule any space behind him except outside and out wide. Uh, Ewell's getting the ball, facing his own goal a few times. He, did, he had a really stellar game. Uh, and, you know, San Jose's best chances in the first half when Ewell would step up and kind of get inside the box. One time at Chofis, um, a few times pressing. He was really trying to demand the ball, demand the game. But he had a standout game. He's had a few of those. Um, he's really one of those unsung defensive midfielders in MLS. Uh, so I think it's easy to kind of see what Ewell's done previously and hasn't, uh, wasn't able to do today. But I think that uh, he was marked out of the game really well and San Jose didn't really have a response to that. And, um, you know, as I, have said, I think that that's the place where Trophy really needs to step up and he unfortunately wasn't able to do that tonight. Yeah, I mean, what was happening was that Juicer was dropping so deep in order to receive the ball and get on the ball that, you know, Trophies and Ewell were the only guys in the middle of the field. And so it was super easy for Vancouver just to mark them out of the game. And so when they were getting the ball, they were getting the ball in poor positions, you know, facing their own goal. And, you know, we're so used to seeing Jackson Ewell spraying these long passes all over the field. Uh, he didn't have the opportunity to do that tonight. And, you know, a couple of times you saw him popping up in good spaces around the box. But uh, I, I just think that this was more of a structural and game plan issue than it was with any one of the players in there in the middle. Uh, you know, when Judson and Jackson are able to get on the ball when they have a good game plan and are able to build through the middle, you know, I, I think they play really well like they did against LAFC last weekend, but that just wasn't happening tonight. Diane thinks you both were right. I'm waiting for her to say how right I am as well, just for, for my ego. Um, so it, to me, you know, there is kind of this ready-made way of being able to solve some of the problems we night at, uh, we saw tonight, at least tactically, which which is the ability to slip back into that 3-4-3. Three, three. And the personnel on the pitch are set up in a way where he has the ability to go from his 4-2-1-3, as he calls it, um, you know, into, into the 3-4-3 three, three or into a 3-5-2 and be able to kind of, you know, change the look. But tonight, we didn't really see any kind of change other than, hey, let's put these people on for these people. And they just kind of slotted in a lot of times, like for like, until, of course, Andy Rios, you know, tries to go in uh, to the 10 uh, for for um, Chofis, which is clearly a very different type of player. But there's, <laughs> thank you, Daniel. Daniel's saying that I'm right too. I, I got to throw that up on the screen just so I, uh, it, it helps me feel better. Okay, great. Yeah, so, um, you know, but we didn't see any tactical nuance tonight. It, it pretty much was... Uh, kind of a just a straight ahead, you know, classic man marking Matias 
thing that ultimately didn't really do any do much of anything. What did you guys were you guys expecting something in the second half different than what we saw? Like what opportunities tactically did you think could have been made at halftime? Because to me, the second half was like what everyone was saying about the first half. The first half had at least half an expected goal, several shots in the box or six shots in the box in the first half. The second half had basically had nothing until Abobasi hit the post and until Cowell at the end. There's really only two opportunities in, in the second half. The first half to me had a bit more to it. It felt like there were no adjustments made at halftime, tactically, personnel, anything, you know, but you know, maybe on the television with the camera swinging wildly in different directions. I, I, I'm not the best person to make that kind of call. What did you guys see? I mean, I think this game was begging for sort of a halftime change. Uh, and I, I would have liked to have seen Kay Cowell uh, introduced earlier. Uh, and I, I think that this was really a game where uh, they needed to move to the 3-5-2 or 3-4-3. That's what you were alluding to, Jamin. If you have that tactical flexibility, uh, I think you need to use it. And it felt like Almeida was almost playing it safe. Um, and uh, it, it, that would have given the Quakes more width. I think it would have given the Quakes uh, more strength in central midfield. I just think it would have made more sense. But it felt like they kept on doing the same thing uh, without success. And that was frustrating, I think, uh, for the fans. that. At PayPal Park, I think compared to the atmosphere uh, that they had last weekend, it was very subdued. Uh, a couple big shouts for uh, Chris Wondolowski, Cade Cowell, Abobasi. Um, but other than that, it was a pretty quiet one. Yeah, I'd say that. Um, you know, I'm surprised Carlos Fierro didn't get the start as well in terms of uh, things I would have done if I was going to go in a 4 2 3 1. He's just, um, he's much more creative in space than Salinas. Salinas is a couple of things does very well. He'd be the first to tell you and many things he just doesn't do as well. Um, but uh, I think that Fierro is kind of able to do a few more interesting things in the box, can kind of work with um, early in the season is working really well with Trophies and Espinosa. I think that if you're going to start with a 4-3-2-1, he's a much better, or 4-2-3-1, he's a much better choice for that. If you're, um, you know, going to try to um, get in under a pack defense, he's a much better choice for that. So I don't know if he's um, not 90 minutes ready yet or what the choice was. But, um, you know, I think that once he came on, that's how the game really accelerated in the second half after his introduction. Marcelo is pointing out booze for Andy Rios coming on tonight. Um, I think a lot of people felt that with the introduction of Abobasi, we might have seen the last for Andy Rios for the season. Certainly still no goals, uh, no real production from him this season, you know, and, and it seems like, you know, we're not the only ones talking about it, uh, you know, however many thousand at PayPal Park tonight, booing Andy Rios as he came on. That can't be very good for what he's trying to go through, to what he's trying to work through right now. Um, but can you blame people at this point for, for how they feel about this? No, I, 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 I don't think anybody should be booing Andy Rios. I think that he is a committed professional. Uh, I think that he gives his all for San Jose. Uh, and I think last season, the Quakes were really quite dependent on him. And given everything that he put into this team last year, he doesn't deserve this kind of treatment. Uh, and I understand that fans are frustrated. I am frustrated because he's been so poor this season. Uh, he hasn't contributed, uh, but I think the fault uh, for that is Almeida and, uh, you know, the fact that Almeida keeps playing him uh, and putting him in, in these bad situations. I don't think that Andy Rios is the one who deserves to be booed for that, for showing up and, and doing his job uh, and trying to do it to the best extent he can. Well, I just wanted to kind of, you know, seat a little bit more here because it feels like now that the team has a Bobasi, they've got kind of the nine position figured out. You got, several players who can play the nine on this team, including still, you know, Chris Wondolowski um, and, uh, you know, including, uh, you know, uh, uh, people on the injury list right now. So, so there is depth in this team at the nine. Is creative playmaker really where this team needs to focus? Because right now you have Shofis. He's on a one-year loan. The only subs that we see for Shofis right now is either Jackson Yule moving up and playing a 10, which is not a natural place for him, or Andy Rios having to come on. And as you wrote last year, he pays, plays as more of a kind of a back to goal pivot 
uh, and his types of distribution as well. Sounds like Matias is gonna join us in just a minute, but before he does, Asher, uh, maybe go ahead and follow up on that. Yeah, uh, booing Andy Rios, it's kind of booing the passage of time. Uh, you know, he's on the uh, on my end of 30. So, um, you know, there's some reasons why I might not be as quick as he was in the past. Um, you know, it's not uh, saying, you know, you don't have the right to boo, you have the right to do anything safely within PayPal Park. Uh, but, um, you know, I'm sure he's just as frustrated, if not more frustrated than any of us. This is his, uh, you know, career that it's, um, not going the way he wants for, for me, it's just a frustrating 15, 20 minutes a match. Um, so I, I understand the frustration lies, um, but it seems like that's what this team is missing. This, um, person who's able to just kind of move defenses around and, uh, the Quakes really haven't, you know, even when they've had offensive success this year, it's been in transition. They haven't found that way to dominate possession, dominate, um, the middle, that zone 14, I guess, uh, has been something they've been lacking all year. And look, I, they need to look internally for this. They got, they went out in the summer transfer window and they filled their two biggest needs. They got Nathan, who's been a revelation at center back. They got, uh, you know, a Bobasi up top. I don't think anybody expected a signing of that magnitude and that caliber. Um, and now they need to look within their squad. And I think they have the talent. Uh, it's just about getting it to work in the right way. And I keep toggling back and forth here because we're expecting Matias Almeida uh, any minute. Uh, but if you look in the roster, you know, I think that they need to find more ways to get trophies on the ball. He's been heating up the last couple of weeks. So I think he is the guy ultimately that they need to look to. It's just about when teams are compact and trying to, you know, sit deep and defend how they break down the situations. And now we're going to Matias. I still think it's important to keep adding points even though we wanted to win. But the team is still showing a positive face. Thank you, Matias. Next question comes from Jamin Moore. Unmuted. Hi, Matias. Thank you for taking the time tonight. Um, you, uh, you have an opportunity tonight to be able to get back into a playoff position. You're only now a point out of the playoffs with goal differential, another factor as well. You know, what is it that needs to change uh, taking from tonight in order to be able to take advantage of your next uh, home game next Tuesday? Thank you. La posición de playoff, ¿qué puede ser el equipo para aprovechar y el partido que viene para poder eh, tener, obtener la victoria y entrar a playoff? Bueno, primero creo que hay que 
Hay que rezar que mañana nos den ciertos resultados. First we have to pray that tomorrow uh, certain results um, don't happen. Nosotros venimos recuperando eh, al equipo futbolísticamente. We've been recovering uh, the team in terms of football. El hecho de haber agarrado una racha donde perdimos muchos partidos, eso digamos que nos ha sumado, no hemos podido sumar en ese momento y se ha alejado el grupo de los de playoff. There was a moment where the team was going through a bad streak where we couldn't um, add points and that made us further away from the playoff spot. Eh, quedan esta semana que viene dos partidos muy difíciles. And this upcoming week we have two really difficult games. Y bueno, como dije en la semana, nosotros vamos pensando partido a partido y no tanto con respecto a, al tema del playoff. Queremos jugar bien y ganar. But we think more about uh, game to game rather than the uh, playoff spot. Obviously, we want to win. Y seguramente el último partido se decidirá hasta dónde llegamos. And surely up to the last game that will be decided when and how far we go. Thank you. We'll take two more in English, starting with Marco Ukalovic. Bueno, Matías, ¿cómo estás? Buenas noches. In the 59th minute, you substituted uh, Kate Cowell in. Did you feel at that point of the match that the team was stagnant and the offensive attack wasn't as being as aggressive as you would like it to be normally? Eh, si pensás que en ese momento del partido el ataque estaba como estancado y se tenía que provocar un cambio para ganar el partido. Sí, creo que habían hecho un gran desgaste lo, los dos de afuera. I think the two outside players um, put in a huge effort. Era, la idea era poner a Kate a fierro. The idea was to put in Kate and Fierro. Para darle más energía y más desborde. To get uh, more energy and to win out wide. Eh, y que lo queríamos ganar el partido porque hubo un mensaje claro con respecto a los cambios. Tomamos el riesgo que por ahí nos podían dañar de contragolpe. Pero terminamos jugando con, con casi todos los delanteros que tenemos. Pero bueno, no, no pudimos, no lo pudimos ganar, pero bueno, se sigue sumando. Thank you. And our final question in English comes from Ivan Ornelas. Ivan, if you can hear me, go ahead and unmute your mic and you can ask your question. All right, we are going to skip ahead to the Spanish portion and take two questions from Carlos Ramirez. Matías, ¿cómo te va? Buenas noches. Carlos Mauricio Ramirez de Telemundo. ¿Qué tal, Carlos? Buenas noches. Bien, Matías. Un abrazo. Eh, me preguntaba, Matías, ¿qué, qué te llevó a, a decidir todo por arrancar con el 4-2-3-1? Tenías varios partidos alineando con, con el 3-2, eh, con el, el 3-4-3 o el 5-2-3. ¿Qué, ¿Qué te motivó hoy a cambiar ese, a ese módulo y colocar otra vez a Tanner por la izquierda y a Shea un poco más adelantado? Pues ya los últimos tres partidos jugamos así. Lo que pasa es que el retroceso nuestro por ahí se convierte en eso, en esa línea de, de, de sumar a los tres centrales y el retroceso de, de los de afuera. Pero hoy el partido estaba claro que no servían tres defensores porque tenían un solo atacante ellos. Entonces, eh, por momentos eh, Tanner se tenía que cerrar y por momentos se tenía que abrir. Pero no, no varía mucho. Más o menos siempre lo mismo, porque son los mismos jugadores. Eh, depende del lugar donde, donde presionamos, en el sector. Depende muchas cosas para, para marcar un número, ¿no? Ese número se va modificando a consecuencia de las diferentes acciones del rival. Eh, Matías, y quería eh, platicar sobre Andy Ríos. Se ve que pelea, que batalla, que va hacia arriba que busca asociarse, que, que está en faceta defensiva, busca presionar arriba lo más posible, pero también es cierto que un delantero se le evalúan por los goles, ¿no? Y ya desde el 14 de octubre del año pasado, que no marca, eh, ¿cómo lo ves a él emocionalmente? Eh, ¿qué, ¿Qué sientes que pudiera ser un poco mejor? Porque el esfuerzo se ve que está ahí, pero lamentablemente no se le termina de dar a Andy. Yo creo que, lo repito, Andy ha sido un jugador muy importante el torneo pasado. Eh... 
con estas características, jugando más arriba, fue muy importante en el torneo de Orlando, jugando de 9, hace rato que Andy no juega más de 9, Andy está jugando en la posición de Chofis, y no es fácil entrar 15 minutos, 10 minutos, 20 minutos. Creo que eh, lo que hace bien es dejar el alma e intentar de interpretar lo que pedimos. Andy no ha jugado mucho a 90 minutos este torneo. Eh, cuando arrancó tuvo una lesión, eh, ahora siempre tiene un gran compromiso. Es, es un compañero muy querido, una persona de bien. Y él estará esperando el momento para cuando yo lo ponga nuevamente de titular. Pero eh, no solamente Andy no ha hecho goles. Hay muchos que no han hecho goles. Entonces yo no mido a un jugador porque haga o no goles. Lo mido por cómo se entrena, que lo veo todos los días. Lo veo y lo mido por el compromiso que tiene con, este, con esta camiseta. Eh, y lo mido por esa parte humana que para mí es realmente importante. Gracias, Matías. Gracias. All right, thank you very much, Matias and Augustine. Okay, so you heard, uh, heard Matias Almeida there. We will be adding back in Alex and Asher here. Hey guys, uh, what did you take from Matias's uh, comments there? Well, I think I appreciated that he was willing uh, with us. He didn't offer any excuses or blame refs, which I think he is sometimes prone to doing. Uh, and he just said it wasn't good enough. They didn't get the ball in the back of the net. He said, we threw on every single forward we had uh, and still couldn't make things happen. Uh, so I appreciate that honesty from him. On the other hand, uh, it's not like he was offering up many solutions. It's not like uh, he was diagnosing you know, specific issues and how he would have liked to have seen them addressed. Uh, and so I would have appreciated that insight, I think, that we didn't get from Matias tonight. If they had had Benji Kukanovic, they could have gone with the uh, the two two six formation, according to to John Jay. Uh, you know, we talked about this a bit a bit before the break. It, it did feel like there was a lot of just like throwing the kitchen sink and seeing if anything happened. but. When you're not able to really kind of build out of the back and and, and threaten through the middle of the pitch, and it, it felt really difficult in order to give anything to the forwards. I'm not even sure like, like Wando even got a touch tonight. It, it it felt like there was just very little connectivity uh, as more forwards got on. It, it seems to separate things, and and that's actually really really normal uh, for for this. And I think the the rare situation where you know Wando you know, scores two goals in, in, in Salt Lake. When, when you throw the kitchen sink at the situation happens, it creates a lot of euphoria, but for the most part, it really hasn't worked much, very much this season, Asher. Yeah, not at all. And, um, you know, something that I think is a fun, uh, a fun internet belief, whether or not it's actually validated, we haven't been able to find out yet is, uh, with someone like, um, you know, Haji, who is a little bit more, um, you know, aggressive on the ball and takes defenders on, um, but isn't a forward, you know, that might be someone who might be able to be a creative spark and shake things up in the attack. Uh, you know, it's, it seems like this is the sort of game where it's worth giving that a shot. You know, we know what five forwards can do. Uh, maybe let's see what another attacking midfielder would do. Um, you know, it's kind of just um, repeating the same sort of thing and uh, something that we've seen against Vancouver and Vancouver had the same lineup last year. Um, you know, I think there was a lot of um, credit to the team for being able to play in the front foot. You know, Alanis and Nathan Beeson are just absolutely cleaning things up in the back, but um, they haven't really figured out how to have that connectivity in the midfield yet. And, uh, you know, it's easy to blame Ewell because that's, Ewell's job, but there has to be something if the team like Vancouver makes the effort to take Ewell out of the game, um, that means there's other elements. You know, that's not Judson's game necessarily, and it's not anything that, um, you know, Salinas and Espinosa, you don't want them to pinch it inside either. So, um, you know, hopefully that's something they're going to figure out because as the Quakes garner more respect, they're going to face more packed in defenses. And, uh, you know, we've seen them really go toe to toe with the top of the conference, and now we have to see them 
really take care of business against the bottom half of the conference if they're going to uh, get above the playoff line. So that's we have to figure out how they're going to do that over the next couple of weeks. Well, I'll give you the bad news, Asher. And the bad news is that I don't think Saeed Haji was even on the bench tonight. I don't think he was an option at all. Uh, and I think that's because the Quakes just have a lot of depth. I mean, you read their bench, you have Chris Wondolowski, Kate Cowell, Eric Rometty, Andreas Rios, Carlos Fierro, Jack, uh, Jack Scahan. Uh, you know, they have a lot of options. So uh, it, it, it's concerning that, you know, none of those players were able to step up and offer that creative spark uh, tonight. Uh, and I, I mean, look, they have two tough games ahead of them. Uh, they're going to have to go play the LA Galaxy, who are, you know, of the Western Conference right now. Uh, and they have a Tuesday night game uh, as well. And so uh, against Minnesota United, who have been historically a really difficult team for them to face. Those are both teams that defensively, you know, play more compact and know how to shut down the Quakes. So I think they're going to have to figure this out in training over the next couple of days. I will say that I was looking, I was late to respond to Jamin's question because I was looking up if Haji was in the 18. And uh, if he only gave me another second, I wouldn't be able to make a fool out of myself. But uh, no, you're right. It's um, interesting to, um, you know, wonder if they can still play in transition. We saw them play, or play not just in transition, I apologize. Um, they... You know, it's weird to be nostalgic for those 2019-2020 Quakes who weren't all that good, quite frankly. But uh, they definitely played with um, this energy, to use Almeida's term tonight. And they played with um, knowing how they were going to get the ball into the six-yard box. Um, you know, even this year, most of, a lot of their goals, and most of their goals come from outside the 18. Uh, I want to see how they're going to try and figure that out and who the personnel are who are going to be able to figure that out. I think that's really the next step the Quakes have to figure out in uh, this season in order to make us uh, both look forward to the postseason and uh, also to think about what they'll be able to do next year as well. I mean, I think something that was poor tonight as well was set pieces. Uh, they had a couple of really weird routines. I know they had Jackson Ewell take one corner, which made no sense. Uh, and they also had a couple, you know, deeper free kicks that they just totally fluffed. And, you know, now that they have Nathan Alanis, uh, in there, Tanner Beeson as well. I think they have the guys in there and they get ahead on it and put the ball in the back of the net. They've scored a couple of goals from set pieces in their last couple of games. And so, you know, that was one thing that they struggled with tonight that I think is another route for them to get goals. And if you score the first goal, I think that completely changes this game, makes it a more wide open match. You know, Vancouver's chasing. Uh, and, you know, I think if they had gotten uh, one in like that, that could have blown this game wide open. So not only is Marcelo making uh, great comments today in the chat, and we've shared a few of those, but he did a bit of translation for us in the Quakes uh, Epicenter patron Slack uh, from the Spanish side. So one of the questions was uh, to Matias was, uh, what made you go with the 4-2-3-1 uh, tonight? And he, and he said, well, the last three games we played like that, it was clear that didn't work tonight. In moments, we needed Tanner to do a few different things, but wouldn't have ultimately made the difference. Formations change, but the players are still the same. And then asked about Andy Rios, he said, um, how do you see him emotionally? And Matias answered that he was important last season with striker characteristics on Orlando. And it's been a while since Andy's played a nine. He's played it a lot of 10 lately. It's hard to make a giant difference in the few minutes. And he kicked off the season with an injury. He's a good teammate, awaits my instructions to start or not. He's not the only one who hasn't scored. I don't just measure goals. I measure on his day-to-day -day professionalism and how he wears the jersey with pride. And, and thank you so much, uh, Marcelo, for uh, sharing that with us. Yeah, I mean, uh, you know, he has kind of gone back mostly to this, uh, you know, 4-2-1-3, 4-2-3-1. It looks like we're going to be getting Tanner Beeson in here in just a minute. But, uh, you know, we were talking about Andy Rios before, and I think, uh, you know, Asher, you had written a great article about him, you know, last season. Um, at this point, is it even fair to continue kind of throwing him on uh, into the 10 spot? And is this really just a lack of, of having the right roster to be able to, to support it? Because it, it does feel like he's just going through a really awful stretch right now. And, 
it doesn't seem like, you know, the quakes are going to, uh, Matias is going to actually honestly be able to, to give any sort of reasons for, uh, you know, Chris Leach or whomever the GM is going to be to bring him back next season. Um, I want to add real quick before uh, Tanner Beeson joins us that at the end of the game, um, you know, the unused subs run sprints at the end of the match and Rios and Lopez were right there with them, even though they were not in fact unused. So um, you could almost like, even from up here, you could kind of like see these like anger arrows coming off of Rios's face uh, from just like really just wanting to put the work in any way he can. Um you know, you're right. It's kind of these are tough situations to put Rios in chasing a, a game, chasing points like tonight. You know, it's something that's kind of similar with Rometty. Um, in that way, they're really good to salt away a match. Uh, but I'll leave it to Tanner now. Yeah, thank you, guys. All right, guys. Thank you all for your patience. We are now joined by defender Tanner Beeson. Let's get started with a question from Jamin Moore. Hi, Tanner. Good evening. Uh, now for a few games, you've been been asked to play, you know, left back. And one of the things that uh, Matias had mentioned to us was that uh, he was going to be asking some different things of you tonight than are, you know, typically being asked of you. Clearly, it's got to be disappointing to, you know, just get uh, a zero-zero draw at home against the Vancouver Whitecaps, a team that I think you guys and and the fans would expect to for to be a chance to get three points against. How do you feel about the performance tonight for yourself and and for the team overall? Thank you. Uh, yeah, so um, playing in slightly different position, but a position that I've uh, played um, it, over the course of my career, growing up a, a lot, and um, you know whatever's asked of me, that that's what I'm happy to be doing. So I'm happy to just be on the field trying to help the team. Um, obviously, a bit disappointed not not to have three points at home front of our fans. Um, but sometimes that's how it goes. And um, fortunately, we're able to keep a clean sheet. So that's something to be proud of. And uh, we've got to just kind of turn the page and um, take take the positives and, and the things that we can improve on and um, get ourselves ready to go again, because uh, Tuesday will be here quickly. Thank you, Tanner. Next question from Alex Morgan. Hi, Tanner. Thank you for joining us tonight. It's good to see you. Um, you know, tonight felt like a game where you guys could have used more, you know, attacking width and overlaps on the side. I'm curious how you approach those attacking situations, you know, as a defender who, you know, is primarily, I think, a, a center back, uh, you know, what do you look for when going forward? Uh, do you tend to want to stay back more and just how do you how do you think about those attacking overlap situations yeah I mean, of course i want to get involved as much as i can try to get forward and help the team and uh, i think uh for me part of it is being cognizant of of what's going on with their attacking players to make sure that we're defending while we attack to to mitigate kind of counter-attack situations and then of course um i have really really good attacking players in front of me guys like Christian and Shay, um, and then other guys that come on. Um, so I don't want to crowd their space and, and reduce their opportunity to create 1v1s by, um, by pulling me and, and then another defender in, into their space where they like to, to do what they do really well. So just trying to um, kind of think about those things as, as those situations unfold and, and pick the best option as, as frequently as I can. Thank you, Tanner. We'll take three more questions, starting with Asher Cohn. Good evening, Tanner. Thanks for joining us. Uh, I'm wondering what, from your perspective, was Vancouver able to do to really frustrate your attack tonight? And um, on the other hand of it, um, what did you all do after uh, Ryan Gall got subbed on to really stop them in transition? I'm curious your analysis of that. Um, yeah, I, I think they defend well the, the middle of the field. You know, they have – they create sort of a, a pretty narrow uh, group of guys with their back four and then, of course, their midfielders as well and make it difficult to play through the middle and and they shift and, and work really hard together and they did that. And, you know, we had some chances, um, maybe not a bunch of clear-cut ones, but we created some chances and, of course, would have liked to 
create more and, and put some away, but um, credit to them. And then, yeah, I think uh, we've been focused on trying to um, create numbers and and be really secure in the middle of the field. So he was subbed on. I don't think I was on the field at the time, but he was subbed on, and we had guys through the middle working really hard to to crowd that space. And and then, of course, trying to to go and score a goal. Thank you, Tanner. Uh, this question comes from Ivan Ornelas. He asks, can you talk about your partnership with Alanis and Nathan, and what have you learned from them? Uh, yeah, um, obviously I've known Osvaldo for about a year and a half now, and then Nathan less time, but um, partnership, uh, it those partnerships are good and are continuing to grow. And, you know, as, as you start to spend more time on the field and, and then in training with these guys, you you understand where like where they like the ball, the way they like to move and defend, and uh, becomes easier to play off one another. So Osvaldo and I have, uh, of course, developed a, a pretty good understanding um, when we're defending, and then when we're on the ball of how we're going to try to try to build. And um, no, it's been good. I really enjoy playing next to those guys and good teammates, good people to be on the field with. Thank you. One final question from Marco Ukalovic. Hey, Tanner, how you doing? I do. Good. Obviously, this was not the result you guys wanted tonight, but you guys are now unbeaten in eight, eight straight games. So the confidence, I think, has to be there with this group, knowing that you guys can really be in every game. It doesn't matter who the opponent is. Also, you know, since Matias has went to the new form, uh, form formation, uh, having one less fullback in there in the lineup now, how how much of your responsibility has grown uh, due to this new formation? Uh, yeah, I think any any time you're on the field, particularly as a defender, there's there's responsibility to to be a presence and organize people around you, um, communicate and and try to help the people in front of you defend because you can see things that that they maybe can't. Um, so each time we play, however we're lined up, however we're going to press, defend, attack. Um, we just need to go out there with with a lot of conviction and and try to get try to get three points because, like you said, I think we, we're starting to build a confidence that that we can uh, we can compete each night. All right, thank you very much, Tanner. Congrats on the clean sheet. Thank you. All right, thank you guys all for joining us, and we will see you on Tuesday night. Okay, so let me add uh, Asher and Alex back in here. Okay, guys. So uh, you know, Tanner, Tanner, as one uh, one person said in the chat, Tanner Beeston uh, joining us there. Uh, you know, he he really has been solid. I mean, I, I think I've said it on the show before, and uh, you know, to me, the center back pairing of the future, basically the the Goodson and Bernardes, you know, of the of this next generation is is probably going to be Tanner Beeston and Nathan. Uh, you know, I think I think that's the direction you're heading, but at the same time, right now, you're you're sacrificing what Marcos Lopez brings from an attacking side to get a clean sheet like tonight by starting Tanner Beeson. Six of one, half dozen of another, but man, these guys are really different outside backs. Um, is it working to have Tanner Beeson at the left back position, or would it just be better to you know, give him a give him Alanis's spot and get ready for the future. Get him a, some some reps with Nathan. You know, on that back line. If you want to play four in the back, start Marcos Lopez. Where do you guys sit with all this? Um, yeah, I think Beeson was phenomenal last game. Not just in terms of shutting Villa down, but also in build up, uh, he was JT's safety valve. He can win any aerial against any right winger in the league, pretty much. And he was able just to get balls off his head onto Cade Cowell's feet. And that was just so many of the transition opportunities last match. Um, you know, it's different when he's heading the ball onto Chofis's feet. Um, you know, that's just a very different setup. It, it's not going to make the defense a sweat the same sort of way. Um, same thing with Shea Salinas. So I think he has a ton of value out wide in those sorts of situations. I think that also Alanis's passing is really um, something the team needs when uh, Judson and Chofis are the other midfielders surrounding Ewell. Um, definitely future as a center back in this league. I'd see maybe doing something like Andrew, Fer Andrew Farrell sort of going between inside, outside. Um, but, um, you know, it's 
tough to see how he's a long-term solution at left back unless their long-term attack is just getting Cade Cowell to destroy grown men out wide, uh, which is a good temporary solution, uh, but I don't think that's like a long-term strategy. So um, it's really been a lot of fun watching Beeson develop, but um, you know, this sort of game where I think something a little bit more speed, a little more um, aggressiveness and passing and also with Lopez just takes people on. He, it seems like sometimes the only thing he does is kind of, stutters out, cuts in, and just no winger in the league can handle it. And that's when they were able to really push forward that way in the end of the game. Look, Marcos Lopez is a guy that was starting and playing for Peru in the Copa America this summer and incredibly important big games against some of the best national teams on the planet, Colombia, Argentina, Brazil in that tournament. So he has the caliber to start. There is no reason that Marcos Lopez shouldn't be starting. Uh, I, I, I think that Tanner Beeson probably should get, you know, opportunities when the Quakes need to man mark someone out of the game, someone like Carlos Vela, when the other team has a really, really strong winger that Almeida wants to completely mark out of the game. I think that's when you see Tanner Beeson playing left back. That's when he should play there. But any other game when the Quakes need more going forward, uh, they need that width. Uh, I think it should be Marcos Lopez there. And I mean, from a business perspective as well, you want Marcos Lopez to develop, to get minutes. I think he's one of the players that this organization should be looking to sell to a you know top uh, European or even South American, Latin American club, I think. Uh, he has a lot of potential. He's still very young. He should be getting those minutes at left back, uh, except in those you know, rare situations, I think, where they want to mark someone out of the game with Beeson. Alex, let's keep it with you for a second. Would you replace Alanis with Beeson permanently this season in order to be able to accomplish that? Or would you go with the experience that uh, Alanis brings to the team and maybe a bit more progressive passing on the ball, a little bit more calmness, let's say, playing out of the back and, and, and such? Or is it time to get ready for the future? Because you know, Oswaldo Alanis is, is not long for this team. It's too expensive to pick up his contract. And at his age, you know, it, it doesn't really make sense for this team to do so next year. Alanis is a great partnership with Nathan. I think you keep him, keep him in there for the remainder of this season. I think you need his progressive passing, especially if teams start sitting deep against the Quakes like the, the Whitecaps did tonight. You need his progressive passing. Uh, I think his leadership is another big thing for this team uh, and also his connection with JT at the back. For all of those reasons, I think that Alanis is your guy for this season and next year is when you let uh, Beeson take that starting position when you give it to him. And uh, I, I think for now, Alanis is still too important for this team. In addition, his his set pieces as well uh, with the, the, the left foot there for, for I think all of those reasons, he's your guy for this year. We're going to wrap things up here soon, but I want to look ahead pretty quickly because on Tuesday, and we got an odd schedule here, a Friday, a Tuesday, and then another Friday, uh, the team has to face Minnesota United. This has been a team that has the, that um, you know the Quakes have struggled with. Adrian, he says, figured us out, Marcelo says. Is he going to be able to figure us out again now that you've got uh, Nathan in the back? The Quakes went up to Minnesota, let's be, be clear. And I think it was Nathan's first game, I believe, starting, if I remember right, uh, went up there and actually got a draw at Minnesota United, uh, got a, a goal from uh, Christian Espinoza. Uh, or no, sorry, he, I think he played the ball across and it was finished off by Cade. Uh, but uh, Christian Espinoza you know, made, made the interception that, uh, that allowed it to happen. Um, what do you guys think? Uh, it, is this uh, an opportunity for the Quakes to finally get points against Minnesota United with the kind of run of form that they are been on? Or is tonight a little bit of a warning sign that they may not be in sync for, for Minnesota United coming in? Uh, Santa has got to put the ball in the net enough times where we can't memorize goals from two months ago. Uh, that's really a bad sign for how much uh, they've been scoring um, this entire season, quite honestly. Um no, I mean, Minnesota plays tomorrow. They play um, the Galaxies. They have a tough match. Then they have to make the flight. Um, you know, they San Jose is a day, a day on them in that regard. So it's definitely an opportunity. And, um, you know, they haven't been 
quite as fearsome as they were last year. Um, yeah, it's every home game for San Jose. Every home game should be an opportunity for three points. That's really how they've played historically. And I don't see, um, you know, they've kind of been a little bit more defensive this year and I get that, but um, it absolutely has to be. Um, and for them to do that, I think, you know, I think they're going to need to do some squad rotation for seemingly, you know, something else that Almeida's has been very loath to do. You know, I was thinking when you asked Alex, Jamie, you know, who's the solution, Beeson or Alanis or Lopez, how do you do this? And it's, you rotate the team like every other side in a congested schedule. Um, be interesting to see how tight team, how they have different interplay between different combinations of people. So, um, you know, hopefully they'll be able to see some of that on Minnesota. Um, you know, Trophies will miss the next game with the yellow. So how they sub him out, if that's going to be Rios at the 10 or you will up or a uh, three, four, three with a, uh, you know, Cowell, Obobese, and um, Espinosa lineup. It'll be uh, interesting to see how they do that. And um, I think however they do it, they have to be able to score more than one goal at home. I mean, I think for for me, the big question is which San Jose Earthquakes team are we going to see? Are we going to see the KG kind of defensive team that's looking to sit deeper and launch on the counterattack? Or are we going to see the team that's aggressively pressing, man-marking, and trying to put themselves on the front foot. Uh, for me, that's that's the big question, you know, because Almeida uh, in the past, I think, has been, quite frankly, outsmarted uh, by Adrian Heath. Adrian Heath has had his number for the past couple of years. Uh, you know, which team Almeida decides to put out, which strategy he uses. Also bearing in mind, they have another game three days later. I think you know, even though it's at home, this one might make more sense to try to sit deep, absorb that pressure, and launch on the counterattack. All right. So, Asher, if you can try to point up to the corner there, we have a like, subscribe, notify. There you go. You got it. Uh, fans, please subscribe. We're uh, right just, just past, I believe, uh, a, a big number. Was it we passed 300 or 400 or something? But it was a pretty big number recently. And we need to get to a thousand. That's for you. That's for us. We will all have a much better time, you know, on the show when you've got new tools to play with in the chat, and we've got the ability uh, to be able to monetize the show, and uh, and that'll help us uh, with some of the costs and such associated to it. So, uh, if you'd like to help us in the meantime, also check out our Patreon. Uh, we had, of course, the Slack channel was popping off again tonight. He had a kind of a slow game, but it's never a slow day in the Quakes Epicenter uh, Slack uh, when it's game time. So thank you to all the fans who kept it lively. I always enjoy your comments. I was away for the last game and I get to come back and I have like 150 comments that I need to read in the Slack. And I, and I literally, uh, because I didn't even see most of the game, I saw like the last 10 minutes, I read the Slack comments before I watched the game because I really wanted to see all the comments because it's so entertaining. Um, but uh, definitely check out our Patreon, quakesepicenter.com slash Patreon. $2 uh, is, the, is the minimum that gets you early access to articles and gets you access to our quarterly Zoom call um, and just basically supports independent soccer coverage of the San Jose earthquakes in the Bay Area. And also... Uh, if you'd like to kick in a bit more, we have $5 and $15 tiers. Either one of those will, those will get you access, access to the Slack channel. Also give you access to some uh, exclusive video. This past week, we released some video on Jeremy Abobasi and some of his highlights in MLS and uh, also uh, some other video as well. So if you want to get early access to some additional video as well as our Slack uh, $5 or if you're feeling really generous, the $15 tier. Guys, it's been a really good night. Uh, you know, from a show perspective, maybe a little bit more lackluster uh, on the uh, side of the game itself. Any final uh, comments before we sign off here, Asher? Good to have you in PayPal, by the way. Yeah, it's great to be here. I haven't been in a game since it was Avaya, so it's really nice to be back. Um, and uh, <laughs> yeah, it's funny you mentioned that. I feel like... Uh, when the aftershock's more entertaining than the game, that's uh, probably not a good sign for, uh, you know, the San Jose Earthquakes, if not their fans. At least the fans having a good time. Um, 
Yeah, it's been uh, it was really great. It's been the past two months watching San Jose figure out defensive solidity, and now uh, I really want to see them take the next step forward and be um, really strong. You know, if they can actually be defensively solid, devastating on set pieces, uh, and as um, dynamic in the attack as they have in the past couple of years, this could be a really exciting team in the playoffs. It could be a, a really fun, a really long autumn. So, um, you know, I think we can get there, but I think we need to see how they're going to get there over the next month or so. Final word, Alex. I think this was a match that the Quakes, Matias Almeida, Quakes fans are going to want to forget as quickly as possible. Uh, it was just a really dull one. Uh, I think that's the unfortunate truth here and thankfully they have two you know pretty big matches against top teams in the western conference within the next seven days they play minnesota united uh, at paypal park on tuesday night uh, la galaxy friday night in la i will be at both games i'll be here at paypal park and planning on being down at the game in los angeles uh, at the galaxy stadium on friday so i'm looking forward to covering that uh, and bringing you guys all the updates from uh, those two games live in person uh, and appreciate uh, all of our fans here for sticking around uh, tonight, sticking with us through through this match uh, and uh, look forward to these next two games. All right. As always, thank you everyone for joining with us tonight and everyone who stuck around till the very end. We really, really appreciate you. And I love the idea of trying to do a meetup. I think that is something we're going to want to do as soon as, you know, COVID, uh, the situation allows for us to do it. Unfortunately, the boys still needing to wear masks at the stadium. Uh, I know that uh, that's a bit frustrating to have to do a show like this. So wearing them, I've been there and done that many times. The same thing is happening up here in the Pacific Northwest. So thank you both for your uh, on-site coverage. Really appreciate it. And uh, we will be Talking to everyone on Tuesday uh, after uh, another home match against Minnesota United. For Asher Cohn, for Alex Morgan, I'm Jamin Moore. Have a good night, everyone. Thank you for watching.